0: The reading is taken from uh, Revelation 11, starting at verse 19, um, and it's page 1241 in the Church Bibles, and in the large ones it's 1241. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and within his temple was seen the ark of his covenant, and there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a severe hailstorm. There was a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he wasn't strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice you heavens and you who dwell in them but woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has gone down to you he is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. When the dragon saw that he'd been hurled to the earth he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness where she would be taken care of for a time, times and half a time out of the serpent's reach. Then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring. Those who keep God's commands and hold fast to their testimony about Jesus. Thank you, Jeff.
1: Well, good morning, everyone. Great to be together this morning. Um, just to say the new um, term card's out um, with uh, information of what's going on what we're going to be preaching on over the next term so please do take one of those on your way out that would be great we're going to start with a little game this game is called guess what Mark is thinking you might be thinking Well, this is going to be an impossible game Um, Steph, my wife, has an uncanny ability to know what I'm thinking, sometimes before I'm even thinking it. But I think she may even struggle um, to work out what I'm thinking. I'm going to give you... I'm thinking about something, okay? I'm going to give you um, four little phrases, and I want you to see if you can work out what I'm thinking about. Here's the first one. I'm thinking about something that is um, a major issue for every Christian. I'm thinking about something that for lots and lots of Christians... We don't recognize to be a major issue. I'm thinking about something that as pastors and elders we spend a lot of time thinking about and praying about, but we ought to pray about more than we do. I'm thinking about something that's invisible. Any ideas? See, the Christian life is a spiritual battle. The Christian life is a spiritual battle. The uh, prayer yesterday was great. I, I know there were lots of people for different reasons who couldn't have been there. If you could have been there yesterday but chose not to, you really missed out because it was a great day coming together. And because the Christian life is a spiritual battle, days like yesterday are days that we need in the life of the church. They're so, so important. I'm sure you've seen this uh, picture before. I've preached and used this illustration many times. Do you, if you're a Christian, feel sometimes like a little bit like a red dot with your backs against the wall, well, wall living in a bit of a grey world? Uh, you feel fairly isolated. You feel like this church is relatively um, unimportant compared, compared to all that's going on around us. You feel like friends, work colleagues, family members don't really care about what you believe. Well, Wellesley uh, was taking us through a wonderful series in the book of Revelation before Christmas I don't know if you can cast your mind back and remember what he was saying about chapters 10 and 11 Because those two chapters specifically focused in on what it looks like to live as a faithful witnessing church um, In a dark hostile godless world And one of the things he brought out is that proclamation speaking of Christ and persecution opposition against Christ go hand in hand That's what chapters 10 and 11 were all about now, if you would describe yourself as someone who is very fervent in your evangelistic zeal and your desire to witness to a broken world, if you feel that your, your spiritual temperature is at a good place, you'll feel something of this. You'll, you'll be aware of what it feels like, that life is a spiritual battle. But if you're sitting here this morning, and if you're really honest with yourself, in the heart of hearts, you feel fairly spiritually flat, a little bit lukewarm... Maybe, if you're honest, the Christian thing's kind of a Sunday thing, and the rest of the week is kind of your time. There's a real danger this passage would just talk straight past you. Particularly when I've titled this talk, The Dragon and the Woman, and you say, yeah, well, I don't believe in dragons, so what could this possibly have to do with me? But I don't believe in dragons either, and the dragon in this chapter is symbolic of something that is real. Remember Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. What is the book of Revelation all about? It's not about dragons. Who's it about? This is the revelation of who? Jesus Christ. The whole of the book of Revelation is about Jesus Christ. And that is why the whole of the book of Revelation is relevant to us. So as I pray for us this morning, I want you to imagine you're a salt seller. See, salt is good, isn't it? You put salt on food to make it taste better. Uh, you, You can use salt to preserve things. But there's something has got to happen for this salt cellar to be any use to anybody. It's got to be picked up and it's got to be shaken. And I want to pray this morning that God by his spirit, in a sense, would pick us all up and shake us. So that we can be more useful for him. So should we pray as we come to this wonderful passage together? Father, this is a, a really hard passage. It's really challenging. For many here, it may well rebuke us. And we won't always want to hear some of the words within it. But it's also a wonderfully uplifting and encouraging chapter. So I pray that this morning you would, as it were, pick us up and shake us. Show us some of the spiritual realities hidden in this passage. That we might live lives that are worthy of all that you have done for us. And I pray this for your glory and your name's sake. Amen. Well, before we uh, jump into chapter 12, just notice as the reading began, the last verse in chapter 11... Do you see it there? It's an evocative picture of God in all his glory. Here's the verse. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and within his temple was seen the ark of his covenant. And there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, pearls of thunder, an earthquake, and a severe hailstorm. What this verse is saying is absolutely crucial, as before we journey into chapter 12. Notice two things in that verse. Notice the reference to the ark. All the way through the Old Testament, what did the ark symbolize? It symbolized the presence of God with his people. And also there you've got flashes of lightning, pearls of thunder. Again, things that you can see and hear that evoke an understanding that God is there. God's presence. Second thing to notice, notice the reference to the ark of what the covenant, what is the covenant to do with? The covenant is all to do with the promises that God has made. It's to do with the faithfulness of God. How do you think the church from the time of the Lord Jesus Christ has continued all the way through to 2019? How has it kept going? Through people who have known and experienced the presence of God and people who have known and experienced the faithfulness of God. How do you think this church has stood here and been a witness to this community for over 200 years? Because people in this church have known and experienced the presence of God and known and experienced the faithfulness of God. How do you think you will keep going all the days of life that God gives you, faithfully serving him if you're a follower of Christ? How will I keep going? By knowing and experiencing the presence of God and knowing and experiencing his faithfulness and so as you get into chapter 12 big picture it's all about a cosmic spiritual battle that's going on don't you and i need to remember and hold on to the presence of god and don't we need to know and hold on to the faithfulness of god with that in mind come to chapter 12 and notice that we're introduced to two signs verse 1 and verse 3 look at the two signs What do signs do? They point us to something. And what's the big context of this passage? Spiritual battle. Being a faithful church in a hostile world. And there are two signs we're given. There's the first one in verse 1. It's a sign of what? A woman. How's the woman described? She's clothed with the sun. It's a description of reflecting the glory of God. And then notice that she has on her head a crown of 12 stars. Think The 12 tribes of Israel, which is symbolic of the people of God. Question for you. What is the purpose of the people of God? Or what is the people of God who are called to reflect the glory of God? What is it? The church. The church are the people of God called to reflect the glory of God. So here, there's nothing cryptic. The woman here represents the church. And what is... The woman about to do verse 2. She's about to give birth. And who is she about to give birth to? Do you notice it? A son who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. Think Psalm 2. Who is described as the one who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter? God's king, Jesus. This word here, rule, literally is a word that means to shepherd. He will shepherd his people. Who was it who said, I am the good shepherd? And the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. It's the Lord Jesus. See, this isn't meant to be cryptic. The woman represents the people of God. A little couple of clues to help us to see that. And from the people of God will come God's rescuer, Jesus Christ. So that's the first sign. The people of God from whom will come God's savior. Notice the second sign, verse 3. The sign is the sign of a dragon. The dragon has seven heads. It's a, a symbol of authority. The dragon has seven horns. A horn is a symbol of power. The dragon has seven crowns, a symbol of rule. And notice what is going on with this dragon. How is the dragon described in verse four? The dragon is angry. And read on to the end of verse four. What is the dragon intent on doing? Destroying the child of the woman. If you got confused when this passage was read and you're thinking, what on earth is this dragon? Who do you think is this dragon? Who is it who's angry, who's intent on destroying God's son? The devil. And so you have two signs, a sign of God's people from whom God's saviour will come. You have a sign of the devil. And do you notice that these two signs are in complete and utter opposition to each other? Now just step away from this for a moment, just a little aside Um, Revelation is one of those books in the Bible That has all sorts of speculation Some helpful, an awful lot unhelpful So much has been written about this book And there's a real danger that we could flick on something That's generally unhelpful like the God channel And get caught up in the minutiae of detail About what is going on in this passage And people would rebuke me and say No, 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 the woman doesn't represent the church And the dragon doesn't represent the devil It's something much more specific than that It's some sort of cryptic clue and you've got to figure it out Someone tried to do that in 2017 they reckoned that the stars would align perfectly on this particular date in 2017 so as to depict some kind of lion or dragon-like figure in the sky and some kind of woman. And you get loads of this on the internet and you get loads of it in books and it's really fascinating which draws us in and we think, ah, oh, that's what it's all about. Let me tell you why I think that's ridiculous. First of all, notice, you could draw virtually anything from where these stars are aligned. It kind of is vaguely a picture of a lion or a dragon. It could be vaguely virtually anything. Second reason I think it's ridiculous. There's been opposition between the church of God and Satan ever since Genesis chapter 3. This is not here in Revelation to be some sort of cosmic or cryptic clue where we've got to figure out the specific day that this is speaking about. And plenty of people have tried to do it. Revelation is not meant to be a confusing book. Go back to chapter 1 and read verse 3. What do we read? John the writer says, blessed is the person who hears these words and takes to heart what is written in them. So far from being some cryptic book that's meant to be confusing us, or some sort of theological co- co- cosmic horror b- scope, trying to figure out some specific date in the future, actually Revelation is a book that's meant to be revealing to us Jesus Christ. It's a book that's meant to be encouraging us. It's meant to lead to blessing. So big picture, there's two signs. There's the church from whom will come God's saviour. There is the devil, and they're in opposition with each other. Here's the big encouragement, though, of the passage. Despite all the opposition that God's church has faced in history and continues to face today, here's an amazing truth. God will hold his church secure. He will. Do you see verse 6? It speaks of the woman, remember that's the church, protected in the wilderness for the duration of their witness it's exactly the same thing that we saw back in chapter 11 go to chapter 11 and verse 3 there you have a picture of what was called the two witnesses it's the same thing it's the church and what is the purpose of the church It's to witness in a hostile world and to call people to repentance and faith Uh, revelation chapter 11 verse 3 that little description of sackcloth and ashes it's speaking of repentance what's the purpose of the church to call people in the godless world back to god And even back in chapter 11, we were told that these witnesses, the church, would be protected. The huge encouragement in chapter 12 is that God is holding his church secure. And nothing can ever snatch it from his hand. This has been um, uh, quite a a hard week pastorally. Uh, I've had some conversations with people in this church who are really struggling and facing very real spiritual battles. I'm not going to name anybody, but these are some of the things. Verbatim quotes from people who are sitting here now... About the experience you've had of spiritual warfare this week. One desperate mum said to me this, I'm shaken, I want to cry, but I'm unable to. Overwhelmed by a situation they're facing. One lady said to me this week, I can't tell you the exact situation, but it's big, it's really big, and I need God to do something. Praying for some divine intervention in a really difficult situation. One guy said to me about a very difficult relationship with his father, how will I keep going? He's becoming increasingly aggressive about spiritual things. Or well, we'll take the day of prayer yesterday, a wonderful day, and actually there were tears cried yesterday at times during the day of prayer. Sometimes there were tears as we cried out to God for healing for someone we love who is unwell. Tears as we remember loved ones who have passed away. But actually in my group, most of the tears weren't cried for those situations. They were cried when we had a session when we were praying for people who don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. And it moved people in the group I was praying in to cry. Why? Because it mattered to them. And it moved their hearts. Revelation chapter 12 is a wonderful chapter. If you've got your own example of facing spiritual hardship at the moment where life feels overwhelming... This chapter tells us that God will hold us fast. Why? Remember the last verse of chapter 11. God's presence and God's faithfulness. That's what keeps the church going. And that's what keeps you and I going. I love this song. He will hold me fast. Let me just speak these words over us all. Is this your experience? It's often mine. When I fear my faith will fail... I may be one of your pastors. There's times where I feel my faith will fail. Do you feel that? Guess what? Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, how many of you feel sometimes that the devil's going to win and he's overcoming you? He will hold me fast. And here's the admission in humility. I could never keep my hold. How How many times do you feel sometimes I can't keep going through life's fearful path? How many times do you feel sometimes that your love for the Lord has grown cold For my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. And then you get this rousing chorus. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. Why? For my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. I'm finding I'm praying those words regularly. For this church and for myself. Because I think they speak in a very powerful way to us. If you are honest with yourself, and you would describe yourself as, at the moment, a fairly um, lukewarm Christian. Your love for the Lord has gone cold. The problem with being in that place is that you're not really that much of a threat to the devil. In a sense, he's already won, because he wants us to be lukewarm. He wants us to not really care. And most of all, he wants us to notice that we're not struggling spiritually. But if you're passionate about seeing lives changed by Christ, if you have a zeal to see the Spirit of God come upon this church in power and to make a difference in people's lives, the devil hates you and he wants to do everything he can to undermine all that we're seeking to be here. And here's the thing that I really want to speak to us this morning. I really want us to all understand we need each other. And actually this week as I've continued to reflect and as I've spoken to some of the much older people in our church Who've been walking with the Lord for decades and they've reflected this completely uh, unprovoked unannounced just in conversation It's all come together and I've spoken to a few pastor vicar friends in other parts of the country who are leading churches They've all said something very similar this week And so I feel really compelled to speak it to us this morning and it's challenging If I'm really honest, I'm worried about some of you I'm worried that we're not taking our walk with the Lord that seriously. And it's easy in a big church to become complacent. What do you mean? This is a vibrant church, and it is in so many ways. And it's wonderful, and we give thanks for it. But I'm worried because some here, I don't think, have really engaged with this. Perhaps, Smith, if you're really honest with yourself, church is a bit of an optional extra when there's not something better to do. And I understand there are all sorts of pressures in life. I understand it's not always possible to be here. It's not about being legalistic, but we need each other. You need to be here regularly for your encouragement and for your spiritual feeding. And more than just you needing to be here, you need to be here for the sake of other people because other people need you. And, and one of the observations, and this is what a lot, number of pastors have said to me recently, is the problem is a lot of people come to faith in Christ And then the sort of Christian element of their life is a kind of bolt-on to an already very busy life. Let me try and illustrate this for you. Imagine your life, you have capacity for kind of 10. Wisdom would say we ought to be living at an 8 or 9, with a little bit of slack to absorb the pressures when they come. But I bet that 99% of the people in this room would say, you might have a capacity for 10, but you're living at 11, 12, 13. If I said to you, how are you, I bet most of you would say, I'm busy. There's proof of it. Most of us are living beyond our capacity all the time We're stretched If we've got capacity for 10 And we're already living at 11, 12, 13 Guess what happens when we become a Christian And there's these spiritual commitments They become a 14, a 15, a 16 And guess what happens We end up resenting the church Or resenting the fact that we're really busy Or feeling that we're constantly juggling balls And we're dropping them all the time If our life is 10 and we try and bolt onto the side of it, our spiritual life, it will not work. Please hear that. It won't. It just won't. I spoke to one older mum whose children had grown up a few months ago and she said to me, the one thing I wish that someone had told me when I was a younger mum is to make church and God's people absolute priority in my family. They said this. Because they really missed out without it. So I just want you to reflect What is your attitude towards church? Because it's not just about coming to a service so the children have a nice time in S-Club, you hear a sermon, sing some songs, go home. There's much more going on when we gather as God's people. What's your attitude towards church? Is it that optional extra which gets squeezed out because life's already busy? Or actually, is it a foundation stone that comes first? Of course there are times when we're unwell, there's times with particular pressures or things on, we can't be here, of course we understand that. But for every other reason, is it something that is a foundation that does not move? Because we need each other. Think about your attitude towards prayer. It's been a wonderfully encouraging week of prayer. Now we're busy and there's reasons why people can't perhaps come out to a central prayer meeting in the evening when it's dark. Ill health, um, sometimes family reasons. But actually, there's not, that's not the excuse for most people. For most people, if you're really honest with yourself, why we're we not coming together to pray as God's people as an utter priority, it's because it's not an utter priority for us. We need to grasp why it really matters. We have a prayer meeting on a Sunday morning before church, 10 o'clock to 10.15. I'd love that room to be filled with everybody who wants to come and pray. Because actually that helps us to prepare our hearts for why we're here. We're not just turning up at 10.30 or 10.32 or 10.33 in a rush. We're coming early to prepare our hearts and to pray for the preparation of the hearts of all of God's people. Now please don't misunderstand this kind of challenge, perhaps even a rebuke. I'm not speaking this because I always get it right, and nor am I speaking it as words of judgment over anyone. I'm speaking it as a loving warning because I care about you. And I think there are far too many people these days who are trying to bolt their Christian stuff Onto the end of an already busy life And it's not working And you yourself would admit I'm not really spiritually growing And there's a reason Jesus calls us not just to believe in him But to follow him And if he is absolute number one in our life Everything in our life revolves around him Of course that means I will have to say no to some things Of course it's going to completely reorder my world Maybe reorder my family But is that not a good thing? Because we're not playing games coming to church I hope we're not We're not playing games with our spiritual walk. This stuff really matters. So please hear that as a loving warning, perhaps even a loving rebuke. Because together we need to grow. If you think I'm slightly overemphasizing this, just come back to our passage. Notice how the devil is described. His task, verse 9, is to lead the whole world astray. He's described in verse 10 as the accuser. And notice how persistent he is as well in verse 10. He's at his work day and night. And verse 12, notice he is filled with fury for he knows his time is short. If you profess faith in Jesus Christ and say, I'm a Christian and I follow him. The devil hates you. We reflected on that in our spiritual battle series last year. He hates you and he's after you and he's after me. And I want you to see that the spiritual battles you go through in life as you seek to overcome real trials in your life, which many people here are. Oh. Or maybe when it's that battle, will I get to church or will I not? Will I commit to the prayer meeting or will I not? The devil's whispering in one ear, ah, don't worry about it, it's not a big deal. You live by grace, don't worry. And Jesus is calling you to know, come together for the sake of God's people and for your own sake. And there's a battle going on. I want you to see these aren't meaningless sideshows. This is actually something that has cosmic significance because all the time, what is the devil trying to do? He's trying to find cracks and weaknesses in this, his body. He's trying to weaken you. He's trying to discourage you. He's trying to stop you from growing. He's trying to water down your love for the Lord. So it's there, but it's kind of weak. Well, next week, we're going to think about spiritual battles in a slightly different sense. This week's been, I know, very direct and quite personal. Next week is much more broad. We're going to think about the work of the devil in society, some of the influences on the way that we think. And we're going to come at this spiritual battles thing from another angle in chapter 13. But I want you to particularly notice that the devil... Remember the beginning, the the picture, the two signs. There's the, the woman, the church, and God's Savior who comes through the church. And there's the devil. There's this spiritual battle going on. Look carefully at verse 17. Who particularly is in target? Because I don't think it's everybody who says they're a Christian necessarily, nor do I think it's necessarily every expression of church. Who specifically is the devil going after? What does it say at the end of 17? Those who keep his commands and bear testimony to Jesus. It's the people who love him and who have a spiritual fervor that he will be going at the most strongly. To be a Christian means the devil wants to make war against you. I hope that's a wake-up call for some because this stuff really, really matters. But don't forget this wonderful words are on the screen. When the tempter would prevail, guess what? He will hold me fast. And so you see this chapter is a chapter of rebuke and challenge, but it's also a chapter of great encouragement that catches us when we're struggling. Well, as we close, how will he hold me fast? Maybe you're asking the question, well, how will he keep me going through this spiritual battle? Um, how will he help me with the craziness of family life and all the responsibilities I have? How will he help me to make my spiritual growth a priority how will he do it? have a look at verses 10 and 11 then I heard a loud voice in heaven say now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down they triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb And by the word of their testimony. Do you know um, Satan, the devil, is a great gossiper? He's constantly talking. Do you know who he's talking to? Two people: our heavenly Father and you and me. He speaks constantly to our heavenly Father in heaven. And do you know what he's saying? He's saying that follower of you is not that faithful. Do you see how much they've missed church and how lukewarm they've become? The devil is whispering to Heavenly Father, that son of yours, he's not really belonging to you. He just says he is. But trials are going to come his way and he's just going to give up. The devil's constantly talking to our Heavenly Father. They're not good enough. They'll not keep going. You don't really love them. They don't belong to you. Naga, 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 naga. Off he goes. Look at this most astonishing verse to encourage us from 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So every single time the devil throws up our sin in our face and speaks to our Heavenly Father, look at him, look at her, look how rubbish they are. Look how much they're struggling. Guess who is standing there at the right side of Jesus, uh, God, God the Father in heaven, speaking on your behalf? Jesus Christ, the one who died and then smashed death to pieces he's standing there speaking on your behalf friends guess who will win that battle it's not the devil the devil's constantly speaking to the father in heaven notice who else he's constantly speaking to he's speaking to you he sits on your shoulder and he's whispering in your ear all the time hopeless failure doubt you're never going to grow as a Christian. You'll never understand the Bible. You're never going to have confidence to pray with other people. He's constantly see, sowing seeds of doubt in your ear. But guess how we overcome him? What does the verse say? They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of his testimony. Friends, do you see how this chapter is both a rebuke and a very real challenge about really important live issues? But it's also a wonderful chapter of encouragement. I want to say to all of us as a church, let's be a church, let's be people who keep coming back to Christ every single day. And let's be a church that keeps speaking of Christ every single day. Because that is what this passage says, is the way that we overcome the schemes of the evil one. For one last time, verse 17. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman... And went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring. Those who keep God's commands and hold fast to their testimony about Jesus. So friends, can I encourage you to keep close to Jesus Christ. Because he promises he will
0: hold you fast. Amen.